This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. For those of you listening that have access to company stock, make sure that your retirement account is not dominated by company stock either. I have heard similar horror stories too, where people are like, oh, this is such a good deal with my company stock. I'm going to buy, buy, buy in my retirement account. What happens if you lose your job and the company goes down at the same time? All of your money then is tied up in that one company. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we are going to answer a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about how to start investing in your 30s. Second, we're going to answer another question about how to save and invest for your child's future. And last but not least, my daughter Zoe's going to join me for another money quiz because she liked it so much last month. And she'll read our review of the month. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Anonymous via email at Andy at MarriageKidsAndMoney.com. And here it is. Hi, Andy. We are debt-free and have our emergency savings fund. We are now wondering where to invest. In the past, you've mentioned partnering with a fee-only fiduciary. Should I do that, or can we invest without one? We are in our 30s and have a child. Thank you. Anonymous, thanks for connecting with me on this question, and congratulations on starting your investing journey or expanding upon it, depending on what you're doing maybe at work. If you have a question like Anonymous, everybody, you can touch base with me via voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail or on social at Andy Hill MKM, or you can shoot me an email like Anonymous did at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Anyway, Anonymous, I just want to say congratulations on becoming debt-free and funding your emergency fund. That is an incredible milestone on your financial journey, so way to go. Let's talk investing now. And to help me answer your question, I'm excited to be joined by the award-winning author of the three-part Broke Millennial series, Erin Lowry. Her first book was named by MarketWatch as one of the best money books of 2017. Her second book took on investing, and her most recent book, tackles awkward financial conversations. And for those of you who've been longtime listeners, you may remember that we had Aaron on the show in 2017, way back when, discussing how to get financially naked before marriage. If you want to check that one out, it's at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 54. And I'm so glad to have Aaron back on the show today. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you for having me and having me back at that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been way too long. So we are due. So let's answer Anonymous's question here. You wrote a five-star rated book on investing. So tell me, we can do this together. Is this something that Anonymous needs to do with a financial advisor or can they go on their own? Well, they definitely can go on their own. I liked the lead that you put out there in the beginning about depending on what you're doing at work, because that was going to be my first point. Anonymous, you probably are already investing, and that is with your retirement account. 
And my big thing with that, and I really hit on this in Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, is that we use the wrong language when it comes to retirement. We say save for retirement. That's a misnomer. You are investing for retirement, assuming that that money is not sitting in cash and is actually invested, which is the first thing that I would actually ask Anonymous to do is check in if you have a 401k or an IRA and make sure that that money is actually being invested and not just sitting in cash. It might sound like something where, why would somebody do that? That happens a lot. Is that true? So often the horror stories that I've heard and just like DMs that I have gotten when I've posted about this on Instagram and people go and check like, oh my gosh, it's been just sitting there in cash for the last in some cases, five to 10 years. And I don't want to make anybody feel pain, but that's a lot of money to have lost out on because it was just in cash and not invested. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is not the first time I've heard that from from folks who are trying to get on their investing journey. And so you make that point about retirement. So let's talk about maybe some of the avenues that people could be investing for their retirement right now. Well, traditionally, if you're a traditionally employed person, you're looking often at that 401k plan, particularly if you have an employer match, going to go on that cliche advice of at least get what your employer contribution is. So if your employer puts in 3%, but you have to put in 3%, put that in automatically at 6%. Obviously, if you can go up higher, 10, 15%, you're looking really good. Now, if you're not traditionally employed, like myself, or you. <laughs> so you could do, you've got that SEP IRA, you've got that solo 401k. There are a bunch of different options. I would recommend speaking to an accountant to see what makes the most sense for you and your business structure. And hey, also you can look into just traditional Roth or traditional IRAs. Difference is just taxes. People get very stressed out. Do I do traditional? Do I do Roth? I always say it doesn't matter as long as you're putting money aside for retirement. Roth gets you the tax benefit in the future because you pay taxes today. Traditional, you're lowering that taxable income today, but Uncle Sam's going to come calling when you retire and you start taking distributions. So that was a lot to throw all at once, but 401k, IRAs, if you're traditional or if you're self-employed, look at a solo 401k, SEP IRA. There's a few other options. I recommend speaking to an accountant to figure out what works best for you and your business. So let's say Anonymous throws in another question. She's with us or he's with us right now. And he or she's saying, I am investing for my retirement. How, how do I start investing, investing, like, you know, investing? The sexy taxable <laughs> investments. Now, there are a bunch of different ways, especially today. You've got your micro investing apps, your brokerages, your do-it-yourself investors. It's going to those brokerages with names you'd recognize like Vanguard or Fidelity or Charles Schwab. And then you've got you know, hiring somebody to work with you one-on-one. Now, if you are going to do that, totally in agreement with you, fee-only fiduciaries. Personally, I think go certified financial planner route. That's sort of a gold standard when you're looking at it. You want to make sure you understand how anybody you work with, whether it's just investing specific, financial planner overall, how does that person make money? If you are not writing a check to them, they're getting paid somehow, and you need to know how that is, probably on commission. So then the question becomes, what products are they selling you? They're incentivized to then sell you the products that earn them the most money. So just be really careful about that part. Do-it-yourself investors, super easy at the end of the day. It feels overwhelming at first. Do a lot of reading, listen to a lot of podcasts, watch shows, whatever starts to make you feel comfortable about things like, what is asset allocation? What does time horizon mean? This jargon that you start to hear, it's actually a lot easier to learn than we think, but we have to start educating ourselves. And this is also when you hear about like, 
index funds, ETFs, the kind of quote unquote, plain, boring vanilla items that you can be investing in, but it's really simple and you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of money to get started and you certainly don't have to be rich in order to get started. Well, we're not going to give investing advice today, but could you tell us a little bit about what an index fund is and then why people might consider that a plain vanilla option? So basically what you're thinking about when you're looking at something like an index fund and I always find it really hard to narrow this all the way down. But one of my favorite examples was actually from Kevin L. Matthews, who once described it as owning a piece of stock is like owning a house. You just own one house. Owning an index fund is like owning the whole neighborhood because you own a bunch of different homes. And I really love that example because truly an index fund is owning pieces fundamentally of a bunch of different stocks that do a bunch of different things. And the reason a lot of us tout index funds, ETFs, let's go with these, is because it gets you diversified really, really easily. If you buy one stock, then it's one company that does one thing. So if that one company has a downturn, all of your money's tied up in that one thing. Now with an index fund, hey, I'm in a bunch of different companies, probably that do a lot of different things. So if the tech sector is booming because we're in a pandemic, but the hospitality sector is depressed, because we're in a pandemic, well, it levels out a little bit because not all your money is tied up in one area. So that's why you'll hear index funds, ETFs, mutual funds, a lot of bang for your buck in the sense of you're diversified easily. You're not out there individually deciding this stock and this stock and this stock. Plus, a lot of stocks are very, very expensive depending on what you're buying. So it can be hard to actually build a diversified portfolio if you're just individually stock picking. We could go down the whole fractional shares rabbit hole, but I think that's for another day. We don't want to overcomplicate it and we want to make this simple. I think your point, though, is the diversification piece. It it automatically helps you diversify. I'll give you a single stocks horror story. I was at my company and we had a great benefit that they would give us 15% of our salary in company stock, which was like, okay, cool, you know, whatever. I'm there on first year. I'm like, whatever. Year seven, this is built up to a six-figure amount of money for me. And I'm like, this is fantastic. And the company stock just keeps going up and up and up. Come pandemic year 2020, we're now in 2021, probably still dealing with a lot of it, actually. My industry gets hit so hard. I decide to leave my company. My industry gets hit so hard that my single stock goes down, call it 50%. So the value of my shares that I thought were just going to take me to the moon are now half of what they used to be. And that is the point of trying to diversify yourself. I mean, yes, it was a nice company benefit, and I'm still going to benefit from it, which I'm very thankful for. But Having more companies in your basket will hopefully make this a little bit easier. So, Aaron, it's a great point, and I just wanted to share that quick story with you. I think it will help Anonymous, hopefully, on her journey, too, or his or her journey. And the other thing that's so important about that point is for those of you listening that have access to company stock, make sure that your retirement account is not dominated by company stock either. I have heard similar horror stories too, where people are like, oh, this is such a good deal with my company stock. I'm going to buy, buy, buy in my retirement account. What happens if you lose your job and the company goes down at the same time? All of your money then is tied up in that one company. So heck yeah, not all your eggs in one basket to use the diversification cliche. They're talking about investing. They mentioned they have a child. Are there ways that people could invest for their child's future as well? 
Well, absolutely. You can look at traditionally people talk about the 529 plans, which is being able to invest for college. You can also be looking into kind of different custodial accounts if you want your child to really be investing. However, I do want to push on the point, hey, your child has options for college like student loans. I know parents always want to do the best and the most for their kid. There are not such plans and options for you in retirement. So please prioritize putting on your own financial oxygen mask first before assisting others. Otherwise, that's going to come home to roost when you have to go move in with your child and then everybody's mad about it. So I'm just kidding. I don't know your child dynamic, but... I do think the boomers are coming back into the millennial basements at some point. You heard it here at first. We got a lot of stuff for a long, long time about that. And they're coming back to live in our basement sooner or later. We got to take care of ourselves. There are options for kids as they get closer to college. There's no retirement loans, but there are student loans. So our kids can take care of themselves if need be. You mentioned if all this stuff seems a little too complicated, you could definitely get with a financial advisor. And a big conversation you started with, which I I would love to dive into a little bit more, is having that maybe awkward money conversation about their fees. How do you ask somebody that when you go and you you speak to them? Because we know how important it is, but how do you start that conversation? I'd recommend just being direct and say, oh, this all sounds great. Could you explain to me how do you get paid? And if they start to get cagey, that's when a smell detector situation for yourself should go off. That's a little red flag. It's like, oh, you know, I just get paid in, in helping you and making sure that you're making the right decisions. Heck no, that doesn't pay their bills. So you need to understand if the answer is not like, oh, we don't charge you. They might say something like AUM, assets under management, which means you get, let's say, they would get 1% of your whole investing portfolio. That's an example of AUM, which is a very common way for financial planners to get paid. But if they tell you, oh, we don't charge AUM, we don't charge you a flat rate fee, then you should be like, okay, but where do you charge me? Because at some point I have to be paying you. That's when you should be about commission. And if kind of getting dodged about it, I would just be blunt and ask, so do you get paid on commission? And if so, when? And that's really good for you to know. The other thing too, is you should just directly ask, are you a fiduciary? And what does that mean? There's been a lot of different conversation about kind of the strength of the term fiduciary and maybe that getting watered down a little bit in recent years. So you just really want to make sure you have an understanding of do they adhere to the fiduciary standard, which means they act in your best interest, not just doing what is suitable or okay or not harmful to you. You want them to be doing the best. I hear you. And, you know, I was a salesperson for 15 years. So when I say make sure they don't come off as a slimy salesperson, it, it kind of hurts at my heartstrings because I always thought I was trying to do the best for my clients when I was working in sales. But yeah, get in there, you know, ask the questions. And if it feels like they're more trying to get your money than they really are trying to help you, I mean, you, you're going to have to work with this person for a really long time, right? So you want to be able to trust them. So yeah, I mean, these might be awkward conversations, but we got to have them, right, Aaron? We do. And I think that that's also such a good point is you're really looking for a long-term relationship. And this should then also be somebody that it doesn't have to be the first person you go on a date with. Like, hey, good for you if you married your high school sweetheart. But a lot of people dated around to find that person that was more their forever person. And that's okay that you don't have to sign with the first financial planner that you sat down and had a conversation with. You should meet a few people. And if you do have a partner, you are married, it's a good idea to bring that person on board 
to make sure that they are also comfortable with whomever you are signing on with and they feel comfortable asking that person questions. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We went to go meet with a Dave Ramsey ELP in 2010 or 11 or something like that. And I was just so drinking the Kool-Aid that when we met with the guy, I was like, okay, whatever you say, man. And then my wife came with me and she was like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> it kind of seems like uh, I don't feel right about it. So we worked with him for a while and lo and behold, we stopped working with them just because of the things that we ended up learning and how they got paid and how it was a lot more than we thought and front load fees and nasty things like mm. that that I didn't know about. And long story short, yes, listen to your spouse, bring your spouse, use that smell detector and understand how you're paying how you're paying or how, yep. you know, the fees that are associated with it because it'll save you a lot of money and heartache in the long run. So, so true. <laughs> well, Aaron, you are all about awkward money conversations. So let's talk about it a little bit more. You got a new book coming out. Tell us why you tackled that subject. Why is that important? Man, I love this question because I think about just the structure of how my series has gone first we're going to get it together. And it's just all the basics of getting your financial life together. And once you have it together, much like anonymous, now we're going to level up to investing, which is really important too. But what happens when you have constructed your whole financial house if you can't communicate about it? If you can't set boundaries with people you love, if you can't engage in those conversations, if you can't talk to coworkers about how much they make in order to figure out how to negotiate for a better salary, if you can't tell your friends, I love you, but no, I don't want to spend money to be in your wedding that's going to cost me $3,000. If you can't ask your parents, have you done your estate planning? All of these kind of conversations are critical. And frankly, there's that whole notion that we don't talk about money oh, we talk about money all the time. We just don't necessarily say money. Like we talk about it in different abstract ways. And I think that that's really important as well to acknowledge that when somebody makes a comment like, oh, I'm going to hold off having a kid until my young, my oldest is in kindergarten so that I don't have to pay for daycare for two kids. That's a money conversation. Or talking about, oh, I'm moving out of the city into the suburbs because we need more space because we're expanding our family. We can't afford to do that here. That, again, is a money conversation. So whatever it is, you'll be shocked how often people are talking about money but not being direct about it. So this whole book, really, it's split up into work, family, friends, and romance. And it's all about how to have all of those talks with all the different people in your life. One of the juicy conversations that I liked in there is about negotiation, because that's a powerful conversation. It might be awkward. It might feel weird, but man, is it powerful. So how do we get better at negotiating when it comes to work or a business that we run? Well, I would definitely say the first thing is obviously collecting information. Cliche thing, ask your coworkers how much they make, which is true, but you know your workplace you know if that's comfortable or if that potentially could be a threat to your job. And like, yes, legally, depending on your job, you're not supposed to be able to get fired for asking somebody else how much they make, but they can find another reason to fire you if they want to get rid of you. So you do have to make sure you understand the office dynamics and whether or not it's a safe move to ask other people. And if it's not, LinkedIn. That's going to be one of your best friends. You can just cold email people who do a similar job at a similar size company in the place either that you live or a similar size area. Start asking, hey, I'm trying to negotiate soon or I'm up for a raise. I get the sense that I'm underpaid. You can give a reason if you want. Could you tell me how much you make? Or 
And this, I think, is a very effective idea, especially for us freelancers who are trying to ask each other how much you make. Did you get paid over or under this amount? Did you make you know, $5,000 or did you make over or under $5,000 on that campaign that you just did? If you feel uncomfortable asking directly. The other piece that I really love, we hear so much, I don't want to say bad, but kind of classic, maybe like Gordon Gecko Arrow 80s, like here's how you would negotiate, blah, blah, blah. And one of the ones I've always heard is don't speak first. Whatever you do, you lose if you speak first. So I asked a bunch of investing experts or uh, negotiating experts, pardon me for the book. Two of them just laughed when I said that. Because if you're going in to ask for a raise, you got to talk. You got to ask for what you want. So it's kind of bad advice to just go sit in there and like silently stare (laughs) at your boss. Now, the counter being silence, though, is golden. And that is one thing you need to remember. Make your ask and then shh. Because so often we will talk ourselves back if it gets a little uncomfortable. And that's one that I think we can so frequently practice in real life is asking things of someone. Your roommate ate your chocolate cake out of the fridge. You're sure of it. You bring them over to the fridge. I had chocolate cake in here last night. What happened? <laughs> and little moments like that, that we can actually practice so that we, when we get in the room where it's a little less awkward to sit in the silence because just try to be silent with somebody for five seconds. I'm not going to do it on this podcast and call, cause dead air, but it's really awkward. Let's do it. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah, in five <laughs> seconds, you're like, get me to five. I was counting it. I'm like, oh, it's taking so long. I don't even think I made it. I think I stopped at three, man. <laughs> I counted Mississippi-lessly okay. to get there. So I was like, one, two, three, four, five, counting it. It's worse. <laughs> yeah, it's uncomfortable. So get good at asking for what you want and then shutting up because oftentimes we'll ask. It'll be awkward for half a second. They're like, but you know, I can do less or like, I'm just, whatever. I'm happy to have my job. Never mind. I don't want anything from you. Goodbye. Like we talk ourselves out of stuff a lot. Absolutely. I think your point on silence and control as well as collaboration is really important. I'm in a mastermind for my small business that I have here that you guys are listening to right now. And a big part of it is is like we're talking about sharing rates, sharing our wins and sharing what we negotiated. And I think that just collectively, you know, raises all boats, especially in our in our small community that we have. So Aaron, these are great points, both for Anonymous. Hopefully Anonymous, we helped you out here a little bit with your journey and then everybody with these awkward money conversations. This could be a big step for you in your journey, wherever you are, with relationships, with work, with your romance, with family. Aaron, tell us where to find this book and then how people can follow you. Well, you can find it wherever books are sold. I am doing a plea to please support local small businesses during this time, especially. So if you can, if you have one, please purchase from there. You can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog, on Twitter at Broke Millennial, and on my website, BrokeMillennial.com, where on Instagram every week I do an Ask Me Anything on Wind. So if you have an awkward money question, please come ask. Perfect. Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me back. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, 
reviewing coast fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. Our second question of the month comes in from Kat from San Diego. Here's Kat. Hello, my husband and I are looking into opening an investment slash savings account for our eight-month-old son. We currently opened a separate savings for him via Ally and have a CD through a different bank, but we want something that offers a better opportunity for growth. What are your thoughts in regard to the 529, UGMA, UTMA, ESA, and a general investment account? What are your recommendations on where an account should be opened at? We live in San Diego, California. Thank you. Kat, thank you so much for touching base with me. And I know this is the second time we've had some opportunity for a question from you and that's been featured on the show. So thank you very much for contributing over the years. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your new son. This is awesome. I feel like I'm part of your journey. A couple of years ago, we were talking about how to manage expenses as you guys get married. And now you've got a baby. That's awesome. Very cool. And congratulations on this forward thinking question that you have here on his behalf. That's very cool. As you probably know, Kat, the earlier you invest, the more you can make because time and compound interest are on your side. So I have three thoughts, three sort of broader thoughts when it comes to this question. So let me start first here. Number one, think about your retirement before your child's investments. Okay, before throwing down some money for your kid's future, give yourself sort of a gut check and see if you are currently investing enough for your comfortable retirement. 
Are you taking advantage of your company's 401k match or investing in a Roth or traditional IRA? How about your husband? Yeah, take that gut check and decide if you are on track. And the reason, as we discussed with Aaron Lowry just a few moments ago, is that there are no retirement loans, but there are student loans. So if you don't invest enough for your retirement, you may need to live with your son 30 years from now. (laughs) So Google a retirement calculator or a compound interest calculator and see how you're doing. How much money do you guys have set aside already? What's that going to look like by the time you get to retirement age? These calculators are fantastic. It's more important to gauge your retirement planning success based on your annual expenses, though, versus your income. So if you see one of those articles that say, hey, if you're making this much, you should have this much in retirement. I don't really like those ones because it's it's we're talking more about your annual expenses than we are your income. And most people know what their income is versus their annual expenses. So try to figure out how much you make per year, and that'll help you answer this problem much better. Number two, start with college savings. Let's say you've analyzed your retirement plans and you're on track or you're feeling like you'll hit coast fire soon. Awesome. That's great. So in my opinion, more than a house, a car, or a wedding, college will help your child get the most opportunity in life. I would start there by opening a 529 college savings plan. This account will help you invest for your child's future college needs. And since you've got an 18-year runway, you're going to greatly benefit from 18 years of compound interest growth in the stock market. 529 college savings plans are great because they allow you to invest for college with after-tax dollars and your money grows tax-free. When you want to use the funds when your little guy goes to school, you can use the money tax-free and penalty-free as well. This includes things like tuition, fees, books, supplies, and even certain room and board expenses. So you might ask, well, how do I find the right 529 plan? Well, this is super personal, but I would start with your state plan and then decide if there are benefits for being a resident of that state. So for example... In my great state of Michigan, we receive a state income tax deduction for our annual contributions to the 529 plan we do for Zoe and Calvin. So we get to save a little bit on taxes each year. So that's that's pretty nice. Now, I'm not positive about California. You said you're from San Diego. I don't know if they have a state income tax deduction, but based on the quick research I did, it doesn't look like they do. Either way, you're going to want to check into that to understand if it's a benefit for you or not. And if not, it's not a big deal. It's not a deal breaker for sure, but there are many other state plans to consider to invest in as well. If they don't provide the state income tax deduction, it's not a deal breaker for sure, but there are many other state plans you can invest in as well. I will link to California's 529 college savings plan in the show notes for the show and you can check it out there. So you might be asking, okay, I got my my plan. I'm going to invest in my state plan. That sounds cool. What do you invest in with the 529 plan? Well, a lot of these plans invest in low-cost index funds, which is great. It keeps the fees as low as possible, and it helps you stay diversified. And they can also give you options for investment that keep it simple too, like based on the enrollment year of your child. So he's going to be going in 2030 and Calvin in 2032. So for example, if your little guy will be enrolling his first year in 2038, you can invest in the 2038 enrollment year plan. 
So in the beginning, you'll be investing in more stocks, so you'll get more growth, right? But as you get closer to 2038, you'll invest in fewer stocks and more safer and less volatile investments like fixed income or maybe even cash. Okay, so how do you know how much to contribute? That might be a question of yours. Well, the first thing you want to find out is how much college is going to cost when your son goes. And oh man, get ready for a big number here. On California's 529 plan website, I just went on there, it's called ScholarShare529.com. There is a handy calculator that shows me that your son's college needs will amount to $226,000 in 2038. Wow, that is a lot of money. (laughs) So pick yourself back up off the floor, cat. Let's keep moving forward. But the reason we're talking about it now, and kudos to you, eight months old, you got 18 years to build this up. So start as soon as possible. Take advantage of time, take advantage of compound interest and any lump sum investments you can do early to help. So Nicole and I, for this lump sum we're talking about here, we put $10,000 in Zoe's 529 when she was born. And that helped out a lot for the growth of her account over the past eight years. Now, if saving that much right now is not going to happen for you, don't worry. It's no big deal. You don't have to do a lump sum. And if you can only afford a certain amount each month, that's okay. Getting your child halfway or even a quarter of the way there is a huge milestone. We're talking multi-six-figure investment for this college stuff. So there are always scholarships to consider, or maybe they're working in high school and college and funding a bit of their college as well. I've heard statistics, I'm sure I'll butcher it, but kids who work, I think it's like 10 to 15 hours while they're in college do better than those that don't work. I remember having some part-time jobs there, but I still had a load of extra time at Michigan State to goof around, play video games, and drink too much. So <laughs> they could work. They could also hit up community college for the first couple of years and get you know, the credits that they need to hit their requirements and pay it at a fraction of the price. Or even a bit of student loans isn't going to hurt them. So don't worry if you can't save up 200 and what did I say? $226,000 by 2038. But you could do, you could start, you could start with that 529 and invest early and start to make a huge dent. All right. Number three, finish with a custodial brokerage account. All right, after you've checked on your retirement and opened a 529 account for your child and you're contributing enough to help them achieve their college dreams or get partially the way there, you could also look into a custodial brokerage account if you still got some money left over. This money can be used for things like buying their first car, a down payment on their house, you know, the wedding, things like that. Anything that is important to you. So where can you get this custodial brokerage account? Well, as you guys heard in the advertisement just a bit ago, I mentioned Unest as an option, and they are doing some great stuff. They're keeping the process simple. They do it through an app, and they use low-cost index funds as well. The fees for it are higher than I'd like to see with a product like this, but the convenience of the app is very, very nice. Personally, I'll tell you what I do. I invest for my kids' UTMA accounts through my Vanguard account. I already have my IRAs there. I've got multiple accounts there. It's easy for me to have it all in one place. And I know 
that everything is very convenient and low. There's no monthly fee. And UNES does have a monthly fee. So that is a, a trade-off there. But Vanguard is not as user-friendly as something like UNES because their app and their website are just, they're just not, I don't know, modern enough. I know, I think that's why so many people like Robinhood or, or an app like UNEST where it's just like, I just open the app, I flip and I'm, I'm going and I'm investing. So I really hope Vanguard invests more there in the future and realizes that that's what people want. They want something very simple and easy. And I think if they don't update it and make their app slick and cool, they're going to lose some future customers because convenience is huge. So if you're already a customer of a low-cost broker like Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, check with them on opening a custodial brokerage account first, which is also called a UTMA or UGMA. I know you, you asked those acronym questions. And that could probably be your best bet for keeping things simple, Cat. And if you are not associated with any of those folks, Unest could be a good option to consider, even with the higher fees, depending on how much you contribute each month. So something to consider. So I hope those three steps were helpful, Cat. Let's go over them one more time. So number one is to think about your retirement before your child's investments. Number two, start with a college savings plan, 529. And then number three, finish with a custodial brokerage account. So as your son grows older though, Cat, I want you to try to do this. Talk to him about these investments and why they are important for his future. If you want to grow that generational wealth, which it sounds like you guys are on your way to doing, it's important that your son be given a legacy of knowledge and responsibility and not just a legacy of wealth. According to MarketWatch, about seven out of 10 wealthy families lose their fortune by the second generation. Isn't that nuts? So you've taken all this time to build up your wealth and help your kids be wealthy and leave them with this pot of gold. And then it gets squandered by the second generation. And then by the third generation, it jumps to 90%. So what does that mean? Why, why, why does that happen? Well, in my opinion, we give our children a huge gift without teaching them how to properly use the gift. So as you and your husband start to build wealth and you decide how to invest for your kids, keep that in mind. Keep the importance of knowledge, help them to understand the importance of hard work, how we make money, how we save money. And as you're demonstrating today with this question, how to invest money for the future. All right, off my soapbox. I would love to hear what you guys think. And if you have a question like Kat, please reach out to me via voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. That is marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Or you can touch base with me on social at Andy Hill MKM. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Andy Hill MKM or LinkedIn. And that's a great way to get a hold of me. I would love to hear from you guys. Any questions you have, any comments you have, and help you on your family's financial journey. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. 
Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help more people to find this show. To encourage you to leave a review of the show, each month we do a book giveaway. So we received seven reviews since last month's book giveaway offer. And as a reminder, this quarter we're going to be giving away three different books from past podcast guests. And those are Own Your Future by Echo Huang, The Family Board Meeting by Jim Shields, and 99-Minute Millionaire by Scott Allen Turner. And to help me pick the winner this week, I've got my awesome daughter and assistant and just podcast buddy, Zoe Hill. How's it going, Zoe? I'm good. It's going good? Awesome, baby. Thank you for being here. Zoe, let me explain the rules once again and for everybody at home that has not heard the money quiz before. I'm going to give Zoe three questions. He's going to give me $3 if I get them all right. For every question you get right, you get a dollar. Yeah. Well, you, you, you're very presumptuous. You said I'm going to give you $3 total. You got to get them right first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sound good? No matter what, I have to get three dollars. We'll see. You got to get them right. Zoe, question one. Yeah? You recently got a debit card. Before we buy something with your debit card, what should we do first? We should check how much money I have on there and make sure I have enough for taxes. Oh, correct. You got it right. Way to go, Zoe. Here, I'm taking a dollar out of my pocket right now and giving it to you. Yes, we want to make sure that we have enough money in our checking account before we spend the money on your debit card, right? What do you think would happen if you spent more than what you had on your account. I think they would give you a paycheck or something like, like a that. Like a penalty or something? Yeah, like a yeah, penalty. Yeah. Like like a penalty, like if you cheated. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a library fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you got the first one right. Let's move on to number two. Two. Zoe, you do chores around our house every weekday. What are two reasons chores are good for kids? Number one, helping around the house is good because if we just left everything unattentively and like all messy, we wouldn't know where everything is. Great answer. That's number one. What's another reason chores are good for kids? It's something to do during the day. Like if you have nothing to do, you could do some chores, help around the house and stuff. Yeah, it's great. Keeping busy is a good thing, right? Otherwise, you're going to mm-hmm. come up to mommy and daddy and be like, what should I do? Right? Uh, go go play. <laughs> go draw. Go after draw so mommy and daddy can watch Ozarks. I draw. What can I do? <laughs> well... I think that's an answer. We got we got we got another correct answer, everybody. <laughs> Zoe, another dollar for you with two good reasons. Chores should be done by kids. Fantastic. All right. The last one. This may be a little harder. No. no. Maybe. No. We'll see. No. We'll see. No. We'll see. Question three. You used to have a give jar. Mm-hmm. in your room mm-hmm. and we now have like a ally bucket for this in your savings account right mm-hmm. what are two ways you can use money from your give jar well if there's like an endangered species that like me i like pandas so one time i gave my give money to pandas 
That's great. I love that answer. And then one more reason is, you know how um, you um, give money to people on the streets who are homeless? Yes. That could be another use of your give money. That's beautiful, Zoe. Thank you so much. You got the answer correct. And we got all three right again. Another week in a row, Zoe gets $3 more in her life, which is awesome. Life. Congratulations, Zoe. Congratulations, Thank Zoe. you so much. Should Thank we read this so review? Much. Should we read this review? Yes, we should. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Zoe, uh, we had seven reviews oh. from last ooh, month. That's a ooh, lot, actually. Ooh, I think that's probably the biggest number we've had. So thank no. you, everybody. No, I think a I lot think, of it. I think once we had like... Really? Ten or something. Ten? Sweet. All right. Well, you got a better memory than I do. You always remember things better than I do. So, Alexa, pick a number between one and seven. Your random number between one and seven is two. All right. Well, our second review comes in from SD Karen F, who calls it a great podcast that she really enjoys. So Zoe's going to read this. I've listened to the podcast for a while, and I always get some new nugget to think about and implement in my life. Recently, I've been enjoying the bread and wine with Andy and, and his wife. I really appreciate this week talk about talking a big risk to quit and stable job to do a passion project. Something I would I eventually would like to do. You don't often hear an honest conversation from the other side. Love the podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, SD Karen F. And I appreciate you sending over your screenshot of your review. So we are going to be able to send you one of these three books. And I'll just shoot you a note right after this episode goes live and ask which book you'd like. And we'll do the same thing again next month with the same books and awesome Zoe. And I think that the money quiz will live on because I think she's enjoying this green in her hands right now. What do you think, Zoe? That's the sound of crunching money, everybody. So if you want to help Zoe get three more dollars and leave a nice review for the show, go to Apple Podcasts, leave the review. In Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Stitcher used to do them. They don't do them anymore. For now, Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot of the review and then email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Or better yet, do the same on social, which is Andy Hill MKM. That could be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I love those words of affirmation, so affirmation. throw them out there. That'd be awesome. Thank you very much, and thank you, Zoe. Very much. I love you, baby. I love you, too. All right. Yay! This February, we've got a lineup you are going to love. Next Monday, February 8th, we've got Emmy-nominated CBS radio host Jill Schlesinger. She's going to join me to share common money mistakes that a lot of us make, but... Hopefully we can avoid this year. The Monday after that, February 15th, I'll be answering another listener question or two. And we'll be hearing from listener Janelle Page, who paid off her mortgage in just three years. And she did it in her mid-20s. Oh, man, this mortgage-free craze is going crazy. (laughs) I love it. The Monday after that, February 22nd, we'll be hearing from Wendy Hill Manson, who's also my sister, on how she earned $100,000 in her Airbnb side hustle during the pandemic. And last but not least, every Friday, you're going to hear more bread and wine from my wife, Nicole, and I. This is a candid chat between a husband and wife that uh, don't always agree on money. But we do agree to disagree. (laughs) 
and we enjoy some wine together in the process. <laughs> you can check it out every Friday on your favorite podcast player. And please keep sending us some feedback. We're really enjoying it and having a lot of fun together. Last month was the best month for this show ever for downloads. So thank you so much for your support. I am living my dream doing this show. And thank you for making my dreams become a reality. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Tony Robbins. Successful people ask better questions. And as a result, they get better results. Keep drilling down, asking the right questions, and finding your path. Carpe diem! <laughs>